this morning from Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Well, happy Mother's Day. It's really delightful to see so many of you with your mothers either visiting or sitting with your mothers. I know that's a great blessing. So, happy Mother's Day. In our passage today, we've been working through the book of Galatians. We are talking today about practical love, what love really looks like when we're in the Spirit. But when I think about mothers, I think mothers are given to us to be an example of what real love, practical love, looks like. There's nothing, no kind of love like in the human realm, like a mother's love, the fierceness of it, the sacrifice of it. I was walking with my daughter through Catherine Albertson Park a while back, a few years back, and we were walking, and I happened to get a little bit too close to a goose's nest. And I was attacked. I mean, I ran for my life. She was flying and she was on my head. She was nipping in my hair and I ran probably 30 or 40 yards before she finally gave up. That's a mother's love. That fierce protectiveness. You see, that kind of love, I think, is given by God to be an example to all of us of how wonderful and deep and fierce a love can be. I think it's uh, a beautiful picture for us, really, of God's love for us. So I want to thank all you mothers for being a visual aid for us of how great love really can be, that depth of love, that commitment, that sacrifice that mothers give. So thank you very much. Thanks for being here. But I find that example, that visual aid, isn't really enough for us. We still have a lot to learn about love. I'm thinking of this example of a year ago, we were, uh, a number of us, 40 of us, were in Israel. And we went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is considered the most holy site in all of Christendom. It's the place where traditionalists believe, and uh, very possibly where Jesus was actually crucified and then laid in the tomb. And you can go visit that holy place. What's interesting, though, is that six different Christian sects claim that church. And so since 1200, 
there have been so much fighting between these sects, a Muslim keeps the key to the front door of the church because the Christians can't get along. In 2002, a Coptic monk placed his chair in a section of the church claimed by Ethiopians. The resulting fracas put some dozen monks in the hospital. This last November, there was a rumble between Greek Orthodox and American monks, and one monk ended up with a nasty gash on his head. It had to be broken up by the Israeli police. This is my commandment, writes a secular writer. This is my commandment, says, said the Prince of Peace to his followers, that you love one another as I have loved you. It seems to be taking a while to sink in. <laughs> I think, though we have a wonderful example of mothers, we still have a lot to learn about love, don't we? <laughs> we have a lot to learn about practical love. In verse 13 of chapter 5, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, it says, For you are called to freedom, brethren. And this book of Galatians is all about our freedom in Christ. But he says, Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. But he doesn't expand a lot on that love in that chapter. In fact, he goes on to say, If you want to not walk in the flesh, you need to walk in the Spirit. So he talks about what it means to walk on the Spirit, depend on the Spirit. And now in chapter 6, he goes on to a passage that really shows us what practical love looks like. Why does he do that right after walking in the Spirit? I think it's because the greatest evidence that someone is walking in the Spirit is not some kind of spiritual experience, good feelings, or even some manifestation of a spiritual gift or something. The greatest evidence that someone is walking in the Spirit is how well you love others around you. How well you love. And so that's why Paul goes on to that in chapter 6. He gets very practical to help us learn what it means to practically love one another. So let me pray and then we'll dig into this text together. Lord, we confess that we have a lot to learn about what it means to really love as you've called us to love. You say that the true evidence in this world that we're your followers, that we're your, we are your disciples, is how we love one another. So Lord, use this passage to penetrate our hearts by the power of your Spirit that we might learn to love better and begin living that out more fully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to emphasize three points I think Paul's making. I think, first of all, he tells us real love, love in the Spirit, love when you're depending on God, is first of all compassionate. He says, love compassionately. Love compassionately. He begins in chapter 6 to point to two different groups that are especially hard for us to love. He begins this way, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one look into yourself so that you will not be tempted. He begins with a category of person. He says, if anyone, anyone is caught in a trespass. That word for being caught means to be surprised. He's talking about the people who didn't come and confess their sin, didn't admit they were doing wrong. They just got caught 
in the body of Christ. Somehow God exposed it to other believers. These are struggling sinners. Someone's surprised in their sin. How should we respond to such a person? You see, if we're living by law, and again, this whole book of Galatians is about law versus grace, right? Living by the law versus living by the Spirit. And he, if we're living by law, how do we respond to that kind of person? Well, we're going to point fingers at them. We're going to point out their sin. You blew it. You broke God's law. You sinned. Or we in the church love to make it a quote-unquote matter of prayer which are code words for let's gossip about it so we can feel good that we weren't caught like they were. That's pretty common, isn't it? You see, if you're living by law, you're in the flesh. You're trying to do it on your own. You're trying to live it out. And so when you see someone else fall, you are going to despise that weaker person and hurting person. Or you may want to help them to make yourself feel superior. Thank God I'm not like them. You see, that's typical when you're trying to live the life on your own. But if we're walking in the Spirit and we know that we're only in God's presence by His grace, we don't deserve it, then how will we respond? He puts it this way. You who are spiritual should seek to restore them. You who are spiritual. Now, who are these spiritual people? Well, we hear that in our modern terminology. Oh, he's one of those spiritual people. <laughs> we think, oh, they're, they're the ones who have it all together. Yeah, they don't blow at their... Yeah, those are the spiritual people. Well, let me just say, if you are here this morning and you're in that category, you're a spiritual person like that who has it all together, please leave. Please leave. We... You know, this is a church for broken people who are on a journey with Christ, who know we're sinners and we're just learning to walk with Him and encourage one another on our journeys. Uh, There really are no together people. So that's clearly in the context not what Paul means when he says, you who are spiritual. He's simply drawn in contrast between those who are fleshly, who are really caught in the flesh and they're depending on that and they're living by law and, and all, versus those who are learning to trust in God and his life in them, who are learning to walk in the Spirit, who the fruit of the Spirit is beginning to be manifest in their lives. It's not people who are together. It's just people who are learning to trust him, who are weak enough to depend on the power of the Spirit in them. And that should be true of every believer, right? So he's not making an exclusive group here. He's saying, hey, if you're learning to trust Jesus and you see somebody caught in sin, here's what you're to do. And let me, before we get to what that is, let me just say, in the original language, this is plural, you who are spiritual. It's plural. So it's not saying one person who's together or whatever, go help someone. He's saying, no, as you're learning to depend on the Lord, go together as a group to restore such a person. So he says that's what we're to do is to move alongside them and feel ultimately this responsibility to be involved in their lives, okay, to move alongside them. A couple weeks ago, my son and I, you saw my son up here who's just about to graduate, doesn't know what he wants to do, but we were on a college visitation tour at the University of Arizona, 
And it was a long tour. And by this time, after a couple hours, we're all tired. We're kind of nearing the end. And we're gathered around in a circle at the student union. And we're kind of just waiting for it to be over. And one of the students that is there was leaning against the wall, and she fainted. She just slid down the wall and fell. Now, what was interesting was for a while, a number of seconds, nobody moved to help her. We, we were kind of all there, sort of stunned. And I think, as I look back, I thought, why didn't we just jump down to help this poor girl? I think part of it was we were all there, parents with their kids, and so I think we were either waiting for the tour guide because she fell down right in front of the tour guide or a parent to jump out and help her. Well, I found out later that her parents weren't there. She was there with a friend, and the friend's parents happened to be kind of behind things and didn't really see what happened. And, and no one felt responsible to help her. I think what Paul is saying here is that whenever another believer, whoever it is, is struggling, we are responsible. We should feel responsible for that other person because we are a community of Christ. And therefore, if someone's struggling in sin, we need to take responsibility and be willing to move alongside them to love them and care for them. And what are we to do? He says, restore such a one. I love this word. It's used all through the scriptures for a variety of, uh, in a variety of ways. It's used to mend nets. It's used to restore a broken bone, to set a bone. It's used to restore people where they're broken and hurting and they need help and you're restoring them. And that's the sense here, isn't it? That, that we are to come alongside those who are struggling in sin and seek to restore them to God and to one another, to their relationships, and, and to help them through this time of being caught in sin. Help them get on track with God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way. My brother's burden, which I must bear, is not only his outward lot, his natural characteristics and gifts, but quite literally his sin. And the only way to bear that sin is by forgiving it in the power of the cross in which I now share. Forgiveness is the Christ-like suffering, which it is the Christian's duty to bear. Do you see what he's saying there? That when someone's caught in sin, when we move alongside and we seek to restore them, now we can't make them repent and that's going to be their choice, but when we move alongside them and they're willing to take our involvement in their lives, we have the opportunity to pass on the forgiveness of Christ to them, to bear their sin in that way. It's a wonderful picture of how we are to be to one another in the body of Christ. And he says when we do that, when we move alongside someone who's struggling, he gives two guidelines on how to do it. He says do it with gentleness and secondly, watching yourself lest you be tempted in it. I think he says this because we can easily tend to come across when someone's in sin, we feel a little afraid and we feel like, oh, I should be tough with them and so we tend to be harsh. Or we engage so much that we ended up we end up falling into sin ourselves in some way. And he says, here's how you to do it. Do it gently. Watch for yourself. Be careful. Pay attention to how your own heart set the bone gently. 
not harshly. So think about an incident in your life, perhaps, or someone, perhaps, you know, you come across, I'll just give you an example. You come across a married friend who you find out is on the Internet and she's in chatting and emailing with another man and developing emotionally in, emotional intimacy with him. How do you respond? Do you tell others? <laughs> or do you move alongside her with gentleness? Maybe bring a friend who loves her well, but you, you care for her and seek to gently, watching yourself lest you be tempted or treat her harshly, to seek to restore her to her marriage, to the Lord, and to help her deal with her loneliness, perhaps, and her lack of intimacy in her marriage. You see, that's what we're called to do, to come alongside. So that's one category, he says, to love compassionately those who are caught in sin. The second category is in verse 2, where he says, bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. The picture here is someone who's got such a heavy burden that they cannot carry it. These are the people who are needy. These are the people who are always struggling under a heavy load and they never seem to get beyond it. I think that's why he says here, bear one another's burdens. And the tense of that verb there, bear, is a tense that means continuously, ongoing, never quitting, bearing the burden with them. We're pretty good about coming alongside somebody who's struggling for a little while, right? But to keep doing that when they keep struggling and they never seem to get beyond it, that kind of love is much harder. That kind of love is much more costly. But that's what he says. Those people who seem overwhelmed by life, the load they're carrying is too big, they never seem to get on top of things, those are the kind of people, he says, bear their burden. Come alongside them, take their burden, part of it with them, and keep encouraging them to keep moving. Take what you can of their load. Love compassionately, he says. Don't hold back, but move towards those who are struggling with sin and those who are struggling with the burden and help them. That's what we are called to do, to feel responsibility for them. Let me just give you a picture of that. True story. It was at the Special Olympics. We just had it here recently, but this was at a previous one in Seattle, which is obviously a competition for physically and mentally disabled children. The 100-yard dash had nine entrants. They took off. They began running. Then one little boy tripped, fell on the track, and started sobbing. Well, the other eight entrants heard this little boy sobbing and they all stopped. They all turned around and walked back to him, every one of them. One little girl with Down syndrome bent down, kissed his leg and said, this will make it better. Then all nine put their arms around one another and walked together to the finish line. Everyone in the stadium stood and applauded, their applause continuing for several minutes. That's a wonderful picture of who we are to be in the body of Christ. Not concerned about ourselves trying to win, but rather seeing that we are a community seeking to go together 
to the finish line, coming alongside, caring for those who are struggling and hurting and helping them bear their burdens. Paul goes on, I think, to give us what the major hindrance to that is in verses 3 through 5, and I think ultimately that hindrance is pride. He says, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself, but each one should examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one must bear his own load. Why does now Paul talk about how we view ourselves? Why is that so important as he's talking about reaching out to those that are needy and hurting? Well, because it's our pride, it's our ego that makes us look down on others, that keeps us from lowering ourselves to their level. If we really think we're something, then we're always comparing ourselves to them, aren't we? And we want to build ourselves up. And when we see people struggling, we take pride. We become critical, judgmental. We kind of decide who's worthy to be helped and who isn't. That's just pride, folks. But see, walking in the Spirit, I think Paul is saying, is seeing yourself as nothing. If I've really experienced grace, I realize everything I am is a gift from God. The only reason He accepts me isn't because of what I do or because I'm better than someone else. It's simply because He chose to love me and um, I'm, just, I'm trusting in His grace. That's it. And therefore, I'm able, as Paul says, to take responsibility for my own life. I'm not comparing myself and feeling okay about myself based on how I'm doing compared to other people, which is our human tendency. We've all done it. He says, no, when you're walking in the gospel, in the grace of God, in the freedom of Christ, and you know what He's done for you, then your only comparison is not with other people, but simply with God's will. How am I doing? Am I walking in your will, Lord, today? And that's the only thing we have to do to examine ourselves, not compare ourselves to others. You see, comparing ourselves always causes us to do one of two things. It either causes us to become proud because we're not like them, or it causes us to become discouraged because we're not like them. Either way is destructive. That's not what he's called us to do. You see, comparing ourselves always leads to either pride or discouragement, but it can never lead to love. Comparing ourselves can never lead to love. And that's why Paul says, don't think too highly of yourself. Instead, trust in what he's done for you and then give your life away for the hurting. Love compassionately. Verses 1 through 5. Secondly, verse 6 through 9, love generously. Love generously. He's talked about those who are hurting. Now he's talking about those who minister to you. Notice verse 6. The one who is taught the word is to share, koinonia, all good things with the one who teaches him. So he points to the category of those who are giving to you, who are ministering to you who are loving you. How should we love them? Paul says you are to love those people who teach you, who minister to you. To realize that they're gifted to teach. Your pastors, myself, others. We we may be gifted to teach, but we need to be loved too. 
We battle the same flesh you do. We have the same human struggles that you do. If we're walking in the flesh, what we tend to do with teachers is we either despise them, we're envious of them, we're critical of them, or we idolize them. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't do either one of those. Instead, look at them like you look at everybody else. We, speaking for myself as a teacher, we are just fellow sinners on the same journey you are. (laughs) Don't see us as together, so together we don't need your love, and don't envy us. But as God blesses you, share those blessings with us too. We need your encouragement. As God blesses you spiritually, emotionally, material, whatever, whatever, pass it on. Let us share in the blessing. I think he says that category because he wants us to love everybody, the needy all the way to the ones that are ministering to us and pouring into our lives. Now let me just say, I, I, and I need to say this, and I think I speak for all of us here who are leaders at Cole, I feel tremendously blessed and loved here. You have despite a very tough economy, continue to support the ministries and provide for us. And, and in many other ways, I felt loved and cared for here. And so I just want to say thank you for that. I, I think this is a wonderful church to minister in. But I think the challenge for all of us is, is to realize everybody needs our love. Everybody needs what we have to give. We're to love anybody God brings our way. Live generously. Love generously, I think he's what he's, what he's saying. Share, koinonia. When God blesses you, find somebody to share it with. Bless them with it as well. What's the hindrance to that? Paul goes on to tell us, verse 7 through 9. Don't be deceived, God's not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. There's a spiritual principle at work here, Paul says. You see, the reason we don't live generously, the reason we don't see everything we have as a gift to us to bless other people with, is because we tend to fall into, as human beings, sowing to the flesh. In other words, the flesh is me, it's self. It's I need to take care of myself first. He's saying if you sow to the flesh, however, if you use your resources to take care of you first... Verse 8, he says, the result is you will be sowing to the flesh and from the flesh you will reap corruption. You will reap corruption. There's a spiritual principle involved there. Don't have the attitude, he's saying, that, well, I've got to take care of myself first, my own needs, and then maybe if there's anything left over, I'll live generously. Paul says, no. What are you sowing to? He says, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. That word, destruction, corruption. Let me give you a picture of that. When you work out, what does the flesh produce? Body odor. It stinks. That's all the flesh can really produce. When I was working as a college pastor up in Moscow, there was a woman we heard was in a hospital, and she had to move while she was there. And so she'd been in the hospital for weeks. And we were told, we were asked if we could help clean out her apartment. And we said, sure. We heard it was bad, but it was far worse than we ever expected. 
We took bags and bags and bags of garbage out of her place. But the very worst part was the refrigerator. You see, she had some kind of obsession, and she'd go to different grocery stores, and when they were throwing away their meat that was at expiration date, she would take it and pack it in her refrigerator. It was absolutely packed from top to bottom. Well, because she'd been in the hospital, the electricity had been turned off weeks before. When I opened that refrigerator, I gagged. It was horrible, the rottenness of what was in there. It's disgusting. That's exactly what Paul's talking about when he says you sow to the flesh. What, What do you reap? Rottenness. Corruption. So he says don't spend your life on yourself. Don't live that way. N.T. Wright puts it this way, I think, in a very good way. If church members sow to the Spirit by giving solid practical support to the church's ministry, especially in teaching and preaching, they themselves will in due course bring in a harvest. If, however, they sow to the flesh, spending their resources on the numerous pleasures of ordinary life, then all they will have to show for it will be the corruption and decay to which everything in the world is ultimately subject. Fine houses fall down. Splendid clothes wear out. But the ministry of the Word builds up peoples and communities, and the life they then have will gloriously outlast death itself. So Paul challenges all of us. What what are we sowing to? What are we sowing to? He says, verse 9, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. He says, keep, keep sowing to the Spirit. Keep living generously. Use what you have. Don't grow weary in it. Don't give up or discourage. You may feel like, where's my reward? I'm not getting anything out of this. He promises us, God promises an incredible reward if we will Continue living generously, loving practically with what we have. In verse 8, he says the result will be eternal life. What we will reap is eternal life. What is that? It's not what we think of sometimes, pie in the sky, you know, heaven. Yeah, this life's going to be terrible, but, you know, heaven's going to be a lot better, and so I'm just going to have to bear it here. No, eternal life is something that begins now. As soon as you receive Jesus in your life, you begin a relationship with Him. And in the Scriptures, eternal life is always a relationship with Him that will continue into eternity, but it begins here. And he says, if you live generously and trust God to take care of you, you will experience a depth in a relationship with Him that will bring joy and life, and you'll see Him take care of you in ways you would have never imagined. You will reap eternal life. So Paul says, love compassionately. Now this is costly, folks. It's hard, okay? I'm not saying it's easy. Because to give your heart away, to love others, it does mean self-sacrifice, like a mother's love who sets aside her own interests for the sake of her children, for their good. And we are called to do that. And it means not protecting ourselves from the pain of it, but being willing to step out and be vulnerable for the sake of the kingdom. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. To love at all is to be vulnerable. 
Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safely in the casket of your selfishness. And in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love is in hell. Challenge for us to not live selfishly to reap to sow to the flesh, but to love generously, generously to all those around us. Finally, verse 10, our last verse. Paul tells us not only to love compassionately, not only to love generously, but to love inclusively, inclusively. Verse 10, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. While there is opportunity. Now, let me just say, he's not saying here, well, do good to other people if it's convenient. If the opportunity kind of crosses your path, then maybe I'll try to do good to this person. He's not saying that, folks. <laughs> He's saying, literally, it's while there is time, while you are still alive, while you're still walking around on earth, use that as an opportunity to seek out other people to love. To love inclusively, he says, do good to all people, especially those in the body of Christ, because it's by our love for one another that the world will know that we're his disciples. Jesus said that. But he says, do good to all people. Don't hold back. Don't protect yourself. But as long as you're alive, do all you can to love other people, to do good. There is no one about whom I can say they aren't worthy of my time or my energy or my love. Non-Christians, Christians, whoever it is, we are to love inclusively. Love all. This week, my wife and I spent time with another couple and as we were chatting, they talked about moving into their neighborhood. And when they moved in, they had a neighbor of theirs who was a cantankerous old woman. She was just plain mean. And if the kids ever came close to her yard or a Frisbee went in their yard, she would yell at the parents and she was mean. Keep your kids' stuff away from me. I don't want anything, any of your stuff in my yard. Keep it quiet over there. She was just mean. Well, as the mom of this family said, you know what her response was? Wow, it's going to be a challenge to win this one over. <laughs> and she went to work. She began to try to do little things to bless this lady who really didn't want it. She would take a muffin over or something over just to be kind and to bless her and to try to reach out to her and begin to win her over. She began to do that and love her and care for her and they as a family did. 
They were looking for ways to be a blessing to this woman who was so hard to love. Well, the relationship changed. They became friends. They found out that this woman was completely alone in the world. She was just hurt and angry and protecting herself. Put up a barrier to avoid relationship. Well, they broke through that barrier with love. When that lady, that older lady, fell down and broke her hip, couldn't get up, who do you think she called? Them. When she needs a ride to the hospital, when she needs help, what, who does she call? Them. She's not easy to love, I don't think, still. But they are being a blessing. They've crossed those barriers. And as you reach out in love to people that are hard to love, God does a mighty thing in your heart and in their heart. And I've got to confess to you, I left that time with this other couple under a lot of conviction. Because I have a very difficult neighbor. And my attitude has not been seeing it as a challenge to win them over. In fact, I've been kind, but I haven't sought to be a blessing. In fact, I've talked behind their back. Sin. It's just wrong. What a challenge to us. Those people in your life that are hard to love or those people you meet at the bank or at the store or your kid's coach that's really hard to love. (laughs) That tough neighbor, etc. Boy, this one's going to be a challenge to win over. Is that your attitude? It needs to be. So Paul says, do good to all people. Love inclusively. Love inclusively. See, when Jesus died on the cross, when he died on the cross and his arms were spread wide, he was essentially saying, come, come. There's room for everybody in these arms. And now he asks us to love that way too. Everybody in contact with us should get a taste of his love for us. A mother's love is incredible, but it's exclusive, right? (laughs) It's focused on her own kids, which is God's design, to protect and pour into them. But God says to all of us, now your love is to be inclusive. Include all. Love with open arms. In this passage, Paul tells us to love the needy. Those who are hard to love, who are struggling with sin or struggling with heavy burdens they just can't carry. He says to love those who minister to you and essentially love everybody in between. How do we do that? To love compassionately. Care for them deeply. To love generously. Use whatever we have to bless other people. And to love inclusively so that anyone who comes in contact has a taste of God's love. God has given us a love that's not just a warm feeling. It's not just being nice. Oh no, it's far deeper than that. It's a very picture of the love of God. And people are desperate for that and need a taste of His love for us. There's nothing like a mother's love except God's love. And now he says, let me love others through you. 
Stay close to me, walk in the Spirit, and let me love others through you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this challenge to us. And we confess, too often we sow to the flesh. We worry too much about ourselves. We compare ourselves to others and let all of this be a hindrance to really loving others around us. So, Lord, we confess that and we ask that as we learn to trust you and walk in the Spirit, that you would love others through us, that others might have a taste of how great your love is by how you love them through us. Help us to love in a practical way, in a real way, in a sacrificial way, to sow to the Spirit so that in the end we might reap the joys of an intimate, vibrant, trusting relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just um, close our service by reading the verse that I referred to a bit where Jesus is talking about what we are to be in this world. In John chapter 13, he says in verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. I hope you have a marvelous Mother's Day. I hope it's a time of great blessing and joy in your family. And, but for all of us, let this be a challenge for all of us to learn to love as he loved us. God bless. Have a happy Mother's Day. Thank you for coming.